Are you working on your author career, but struggling to get that first book published? Does the goal of being an author seem too lofty? Or thoughts of having multiple books and making a full-time living are as fantastical as living in Cinderella's castle? Welcome to Discovered Wordsmiths, a podcast where aspiring authors can be heard. Join Steven Schneider as he finds and talks to authors you may not know, but authors that have gotten their foot on the author career path. Hear what they've done to get there and where they want to go now. Settle back. It's time for a bit of inspiration and advice. Come listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith. Okay, so let's move on talk author stuff. Put on your author hat. All right. When you first thought about this book and started writing to now you're getting ready to publish and working on another book, what are some things that you've learned that you're doing different with this next book or you've done different with your writing? Wow. The whole thing with your first book is a learning curve. Every single step of the way from the writing of the book to editing the book to wading your way through all of the people who are offering you paid services, editors, proofreaders, all, you know, deciding whose input you trust and having them read and speak honestly to you about your book. Certainly, I've learned how the sausage is made with the book publishing industry. So I think, gosh, given all those lessons, I'm a big believer that things unfold the way they're supposed to. So would it have been nice for someone, a traditional publisher, to pick up my book two days after Beth, my agent, put it out on submission and tell me they've got it in hand and they're going to take care of it? Yes, that would be partially great, but then I wouldn't know so much of what I know now. And I've seen all of the things to consider and how long a book needs to be or short a book needs to be economical. And of course, getting feedback from people and talking to people about books, you get a better idea for what resonates with readers. I describe it like childbirth and pregnancy. My my second novel is coming along so much quickly, more quickly and easily <laughs> than the first one. And I think that's partially because anything you learn while doing. So I learned how to write a book while writing a book. And the I think I've learned to trust myself more. And I know my go-to people who I will ask for their feedback when the first good draft is ready. And I won't sweat, oh, should I hire this person or should I send it to that person? And and I've now developed this wonderful relationship with my agent so I can give her my second book and really trust her feedback on it. Yeah, it's just, I've just learned how to trust the process, know that I can figure it out, that it's a messy industry and one that I think is in a lot of fluff. But yeah, and I think I've I think the main lesson I've taken away is that I would advise anyone who's thinking of writing a book to write what they are really called to write because we can all 
think of, okay, what would be the most palatable and the most like universally saleable type plot and characters. And for me, I don't think that would bring me much satisfaction. And I imagine it's the same for most authors. So I think that's my best lesson is I stuck with this story, even though I ran up against a bit of a roadblock with the abortion. And I'm really glad I did. Nice. Okay. And when you're writing, what software or services do you use that you find really helpful or maybe that's different than a lot of authors? I think I'm probably different in that I'm a Luddite. I tell people to consider me like 117 years old when it comes to technology. So I use good old Microsoft Word. (laughs) And I know people who use pages and who use all kinds of functions and can like clip out chapters or portions and put them on a clipboard. I just write the thing in Word and save it a lot and send it, email it to myself constantly. And that's about it. Okay. And I know your book's just coming out in a couple of weeks when we're recording this. It'll be out by the time the episode goes live. Mm -hmm. What are you doing to market the book besides podcasts? I have a fantastic publicist, Deborah Brousseau, who is holding my hand through this new experience. And it's become, and so she's doing all the things, the podcasts and looking for appearances because of the target audience of the book. And I think just who it organically speaks to, we're looking at colleges and universities. And there is a Jewish theme that runs through the book by accident. I'm not very religious, but after I finished it, I was like, okay, that's definitely a part of this. Connecting with the Jewish arts community has been a big part of the publicity. And I am trying, I have a really fabulous, also hand-holding intern Mary Shannon Thompson, who is helping me with social media. I did not have an Instagram account before I became an author. So I'm just doing all the things, but really it's very grassrootsy. Anyone with a book club or an audience who I think might be get a charge out of a discussion about the book, I am... I have Southwest Miles, Will Travel. I've got my Zoom account and yeah, just looking to engage in discussion with groups wherever they pop up. Nice. Okay. All right. So let's let's look at our discussion. And it's very timely, your book, unintentionally. So totally. You mentioned in the first half that your book starts off with the protagonist having an abortion and it didn't strike you as odd. It was just part of life and it was a choice. So why did you, let me ask this first, why did you want the book to start with that to show the character and set the tone and the mood? Why choose that event? I know that I should have a deep philosophical answer (laughs) to that question, but that is just what came out of me. And I think that's my, that's the real honest answer. And probably because that's one of the experiences from my 20s, early 30s that I, after processing it, and I had, I was in 
in a state that was not particularly restrictive at the time. I had the support of my doctor, I had the support of my family, I had the support of friends. It wasn't controversial. I got to go to a real hospital to to do it. I didn't have to drive out of state to find a clinic with protesters who would be standing outside. And I think after sitting with it for a while, I realized that I still carried some shame about it. And what's been so interesting is once I finally, and I think that writing about it, yeah, just helped me process some of the emotions about it and helped me talk about it. And what's been so interesting, and I think a little nod from the universe that maybe I was on the right track opening the book that way, is that so many of the women I have opened up to and shared this about myself or shared the book with, I can't, I really, it's, it's like over 10 people who've said to me, I haven't told anyone, but I've had an abortion or I've had two abortions or a couple older women in my life who I really look up to work with have told me about their abortions before Roe, before they were legal. Yeah, it just came to me and it was probably because that was the thing that I needed to process first personally and the feelings that I wanted to represent. And I really wanted to normalize the conversation around abortion with this book. That was a huge goal. So why not just get it out there? And I really also didn't want a reader to be surprised. So think they were getting a beach ready, like romance novel and putting it right out there. A reader who opens the book in a bookstore and flips to the first couple pages, they're not going to be surprised and angry at me. They're going to know what they're getting into. From the author standpoint, we learn and talk about how we want the opening scene, the opening chapter to be something that captures people and pulls them in. Sure. For one reason or another, it doesn't always have to be a big action scene or a dead body. There's something that will talk to people in your situation. And not only that, but it's really, to me, speaks to the whole mood of the book. 31st Year and Other Calamities. It opens with this poor single girl getting an abortion and setting just the tone of the book. It gets set right there that people know, oh, I can empathize with this girl. I know what she's going through. And it sounds like life goes downhill from there, what goes on. So I think it was a perfect choice, it sounds like. It captured all of that and spoke to the people that would be interested in reading that book. I hope so. It just, as a writer yourself, you have to go with what feels most authentic. And that felt, something about that felt very essential to Zoe and essential to what I was trying to say. Yeah, it's definitely an attention grabber. (laughs) That's for sure. So like you said, when you wrote that, uh, it was years ago, Roe versus Wade was still existing and legal, and you had support and people that were in support of that, which I'm sure you could have easily found some people that weren't, but that wasn't what you were trying to do in the point. And you also mentioned that you were surprised that more books didn't include things like this in them. 
So you weren't trying to put it in there to be controversial or to bring up a topic. But no. now that we've had what happened, Roe versus Wade being overturned, suddenly your book's coming out right now. That totally changes everything. So the people that have been reading it, what have they been saying, giving you feedback? Or how are you feeling about the book now in that first chapter? I, again, this book has taken way longer to get out into the world than I would have hoped if you'd asked me in 2011 when I started writing it. But again, things I think shake out for a reason. And the timing seems to be kismet where I think people might be a little more open and more curious. And now when they read that first scene and when they read the whole book, and see, because a lot of it is Zoe's processing and recovery from this loss that she's had, they see, oh, what if this was hard enough? What if she hadn't been able to do this legally? What if she had lived in the South? Wow. So it's been, I've had some people who read the book early on and the people who my awesome author friends who've read several iterations of this book and probably never want to hear the words my 31st year and other calamities ever again, come back to me and say, I cannot believe the timing of this because no, I did not think it would be controversial. I, I knew the statistics. I knew how common this was. So. I think when people read it now, they will be particularly aware of the war on women's bodies. I think they would have been aware on it of it before and how there's this urge to control I think this feminine energy that's coming up, this wave. And I think they would have seen that in Zoe, but now that right has been rolled back, which is really putting my lawyer hat on for a minute. Really shocking because Supreme Court decisions, for the most part, I think this is the first one that has taken away a fundamental right that people have relied upon for decades. I think when there's a big decision, it, it really shakes things up and gets attention. It's usually giving people. Rights like gay marriage, for example. Which also seems to be affected now with this. Yes, it's all so interconnected. The targeting of trans folks and gay marriage. And now we're talking about contraception, where you're like, what? And this is a thing now? And, and, and sodomy laws. That. When I was in law school in the early 2000s, that was considered like old news. We talked about those cases. Yeah, the moment in time seems to be really interesting. And I hope people will take away in this time that abortion is, yeah, a regular part of a woman's life. And even in perfect circumstances, really hard. And so making it harder and maybe making it so that a woman can't have children anymore if she 
tries to get an abortion and it's not done correctly or that she could die as a result. Yeah, I hope the book gives people appropriate pause and a kick in the pants about how grave the situation is. Yeah. A quick aside, I hope the people making these laws and changing the laws and trying to control it, I hope they don't look at the animal kingdom because, man, there's so many animals that would be arrested and in trouble because I've so many documentaries and things. They talk about all the stuff that humans are arguing about and the animals, they just do it all depending on the species and all that. So let me ask you this, though. Have you thought about if you were writing it now, would you still include that scene knowing that there's probably people out there that want to attack you or that you could get bad reviews, you could get banned or get bad publicity and stuff because of this? Have you thought of if you would do it different or have you thought of even rewriting that beginning before it comes out? No, I've never wavered. And again, I wrote this book in Texas. And so there are all of those concerns, even before the Supreme Court did what it did, were all there. It's not like I was writing this in, I don't know, Portland or somewhere known. It's a good thing you got Michigan to go to. But I had to just come to terms with that. And I think that's so, that's where stories, I think, are really important and powerful. I did not think that this book would be like an act of civil disobedience in any way, but I'm fine with it being one because it's important to acknowledge reality. And another quick lawyer aside that I think about a lot these days are is that Justice Harry Blackman, who left this earth a long time ago, who wrote the majority opinion in Roe versus Wade, was from Minnesota. And my understanding from my constitutional law professor, at least, was that he went to the Mayo Clinic, which I think has maybe the deepest, best medical history library in the country or in the world, one of the best. And once he realized that women have been having abortions at the same rates, literally since the beginning of recorded time, he figured if women are going to do this, which of course we are, if men had something growing in their body that could that was going to be very hard to get out of their body and then would change the trajectory of their lives forever. They would want to do something. They would want to have control over that too. So he thought, okay, this is something that happens. It happens no matter what. So we may as well make it safe and legal. And yeah, at some point in our lives, we just have to be brave and say what we need to say. And I totally agree and love you saying that. Thinking of, your possible sequel, that could be a totally different sequel now that this has changed with her, her reaction to what's happening in the world. And or and maybe she's older and has a daughter and that how it affects her daughter compared to her. Really, not trying to be political, but it really could bring that out. I'm interested to see what happens when the book comes out. Yeah, me too. The whole thing's been a total adventure. And I'm very glad I made a charitable partnership with this book before we thought Roe was seriously on the line. 
And it's with an organization called 73 Forward, which is the reproductive justice branch of the National Council of Jewish Women. And they're an awesome organization. They are 100% dedicated to making reproductive care available, safe, legal for all. And a portion of my book proceeds are going to them. And it's just a motivator (laughs) to sell more books because they need the support. And I would love to hand them a big fat check if I can. Okay. So 73 Fort Worth, you said? We'll make sure and put links in. 73 Forward. So 73 for, that was the year Roe versus Wade was, and this is all on my website. It's on the back of my book jacket, but 73, 1973 is when Roe was decided. And then the forward is taking it forward and committing. Right. Okay. Yeah. Good. I'll make sure and put a link in the show notes for that. Thank you. That'll be great. And we always talk about a lot of the authors, my day job or the job. I talked to a lot of authors that I'm 70, I retired and I wrote my book, that type of thing. Here's the job I did. I do find it very kismet-like that you were a lawyer and you wrote this book that's now almost very controversial. Who knows how that could play in and affect things? Because you have a totally different viewpoint of this. Because when you started the book, it was legal. Now it's not legal. Who knows? Maybe people will say you shouldn't even have that in your book and try and get it pooled and banned. and. Maybe the stores will react with, oh, we don't want to cause problems and cause, you know, but then as a lawyer, you could go, wait, you can't pull my book for that. And you could fight that. It's just the ramifications. It just strikes me as very interesting that you weren't like a veterinarian or something. I, I think it has added to my heartbreak because I actually did an internship at the Supreme Court, which for any legal eagles out there is very different than a clerkship. That's really hard to get. I did not clerk at the Supreme Court, but I did do an internship in 1999. And I got to go to arguments every day, which was just phenomenal. And I got to watch one of my all-time idols, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, work from the bench. And I had... And then the... She was a professor at the time at Harvard Law School when I was a student. And then she was Dean Elena Kagan, who's now Justice Kagan. I watched her confirmation hearings when I was home with a fresh hatched baby just out of the hospital. I had such a reverence for the Supreme Court. To me, from what I knew from being a lawyer, they really seemed to be just set apart from the other two branches of government. And and there was something sacred about the Supreme Court. And now with Brett Kavanaugh being a Supreme Court justice and Amy Comey Barrett, and I almost just said a bad nickname that we had for her. I'm glad I didn't. I just, and his logic he tried to use in that opinion, it's, I think it's going to take so long to repair. I'm not sure it'll happen in my lifetime to repair their reputation and what they've done to tarnish their legacy. But I'm really not worried about any legal ramifications to me or to the book. It's fine to write about abortion. It's still legal to get an abortion in a lot of places. 
And so I'm not worried about that. I think the real significant connection for me, having been a lawyer, is is it just, yeah, it adds to my heartbreak because not only am I heartbroken for all people who can become pregnant, but I'm just heartbroken for our country because whether you were a Supreme Court follower or not, it really played a sacred role in our government and our society in reflecting our values back to us. And boy, I don't see an easy way back from this one. Yeah, it's definitely going to take a while for our country to get back on its the right rails, in my opinion. I agree with you. Yeah. So you mentioned also that you're marketing, you're targeting your demographic like college students, because that's the perfect age that's being affected by this Roe versus Wade. Just starting to think about family and life, or possibly didn't mean to, things happen in college and stuff. And I could see how that would be on their mind a lot right now, both the, the young men and women, not just the women, hopefully, and how that could be, this book could be something that, that they could latch onto and understand or empathize and that. So from the author marketing standpoint, that sounds like, again, perfect timing to be pushing this book for that demographic. Yeah, I would love to connect more with that demographic. That's the young men and women are the ones who give me hope. Some of the older of us, I really wonder, (laughs) but they're the ones who give me hope. And I hope that they, yeah, that something resonates with the abortion piece. But also just when I was that age, when I was in college, I really thought that if you make good choices and you follow the trail that society has prescribed for you, that all will be well. And of course, now that I'm middle-aged, I realize we're in control of so little. Life throws so many things at us that we could never anticipate. And I want to say to those women especially, you might get out of college and you might find that things are really confusing and that you're told a lot of things that you've internalized about what you need to do to be happy. But their happiness looks a lot of different ways for different women. And some choose not to have children and some choose, you can choose any number of life paths. And I hope that if they find themselves in some chaos, which I think most women do during that time of life, somehow, whether it's personally, professionally, in the dating world, that's a whole that's a whole mess, that they might forgive themselves for it and just allow just know that they're gonna get through it and that they'll be okay. So that's a connection I I love making. And that's great because that's one of the things stories can do is reach out and connect with people. And it made me think when you were saying that, back when Roe versus Wade first came into being, it was like the end of the hippie movement and the hippie movement helped get that passed and get that in. And there were lots of protest songs for the war and the way the government was and all sorts of things. We need that again. We need the modern generation of the hippie movement and the protest songs, 
the book, the story kind of fits with that. It's not just the music. We can reach our audience and people and make statements without necessarily meaning to even through stories. And so that's a power that authors have. Oh, I think that's really well said. Yeah. And I hope that people who are listening and maybe debating taking a shot at writing their first book or whatever piece they want to write about something that really matters to them. I hope they go ahead and do it because it, it is a mode of action. Yeah. Totally. And yeah. especially in college writing classes, they really push you to write a short story in that based on your emotions and make it powerful and really bring that out. And I'm sure this is bringing up a lot of emotions for the kid, whether it's a girl that had an abortion already or possibly is thinking of one, or maybe I don't even want a chance getting pregnant because I don't want to be in that situation. That could three different ways of thinking that could affect stories and think that what that's going to do as they get into their 30s and 40s and write stories, very much affecting their thinking. Yeah, the fear piece is huge. And I've always said, this is my book is categorized as women's fiction. But man, if you are, especially if you're a heterosexual male who wants to date heterosexual women, there's a lot of great tips in here for what to do and not to do. And of course, there's no way that that this all falls on women. The law is about women's bodies. But I really hope that men take on this fear and understand how serious the ramifications are for them, especially as a mom of two boys. Yes. Isn't there some talk in a part of this that they're talking about that if a man gets someone pregnant and they can't, that they're going to be responsible for that kid for the, until the kid's 18. I think that's what should happen. <laughs> that should yeah. be what happened. Yeah. But there's, there's, of course, there's anyone who, I have a couple of friends who've had to try to get child support out of dads who've skipped time. It's, it's not, it, men really are just not held to any sort of responsibility and especially not with their bodies. Every single time embryo is created, there was a male involved and the consequence that it's just completely skewed and it's not right. I totally agree. I think men should be held. I will say I've had a different experience when I got divorced from my first wife, my kid's mother, that basically, I won't go into it. I can tell you, there's sometime if we ever meet, we'll sit down and we could talk. But so as that a lawyer, sounds great. Yeah. You probably understand this, but when I talked to my lawyer, they really almost were saying, look, you're the guy. So you just let her take the kids, you pay her money. And then we'll just move on. And that's really the thinking that they had. So I don't disagree with your statement at all. But in the situation where we had already been married and the kids were older, that changes that they screw the guy in that case. And I'm like, that's not right either. The mother should be nice. just as responsible, not just handed everything. And in my particular case, that's what she wanted. She wanted to live off of what I was paying her to mm. take care of the kids. So there, there yeah. are cases, and I'm not... 
I'm not saying that's across the board or everybody's experience at all, but that's not fair either. <laughs> There's not at all. parts that need more fair. And it's all tied together. It's all this paternalistic viewpoint. And so your experience came out of paternalism and patriarchy gone wrong, just like a yes. woman who's abandoned. So it's all so connected. And yeah, so men have plenty of reasons to want to smash the patriarchy with women. Absolutely. And I've yeah. actually thought of writing a fiction book based on real events about my experience. I, we should consult. I should get, ask some questions of you if I do decide to do that. We can make them like a companion piece, women and men's side. To do a, We should do a book tour or something together if I do that. That would, I would love to talk. Let me know whenever. I love talking about stories, especially their in their infancy. So absolutely, ring me up. That would be cool. Yeah, great. All right, Emily, we've had a wonderful discussion. I think it's very timely, and I hope a lot of people listen to it. And it brings up questions and discussions outside of this podcast. It's important beyond stories and authors, but we're affected by all of it. So. I love the discussion. It's been great. Before we go, do you have any advice for new authors that you would give them? My, I'm going to stick with what I said earlier, that you should write the story that is wanting to burst out of you. It's the one you're trying to ignore and tell is inconvenient and would be much cleaner if you just stick to your day job. But if you're thinking of writing, write that story that is really authentic and important to you, because that's the one that needs to get told. Whether big publishing thinks it's right or not, I don't think there's any point unless you really tell the story that you need to tell. Nice. Great. Thank you. And that, I love that how you said that, because that's another, what we were just saying, the protest songs, all, that's a power of indie authors, that it's probably harder to ban us because if you're through Random House and they want to ban the book and give Random House problems, Random House will just pull it and be done. Whereas in the authors, sure, Amazon might drop it, but you can still go on Barnes and Noble and Apple. You can sell it from your website. You can do author tables. It's much, much harder to stop the independent voice nowadays. It's, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely more fluid and nimble if you're an indie author. but. If I can say a quick word about banned books. Please. Texas, again, my new home state is at the forefront of that. And I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, but F that. I brought this bookstore that's so wonderful. I went and bought, I think, a dozen beautiful banned middle grade books that had either queer themes or race themes. And I just went and dropped them off, donated them to our local public middle school. The librarian was thrilled to have them. So to new writers, who cares if your book is going to be banned? That means there's something in it that's important. That means you're on the right track. And there are plenty of people everywhere who want to hear what you have to say. And there are ways to get it to, get it yes. to people. My book opens with an abortion, but you know what? I'm printing it liberally. It's available in paperback. It's available. It's going to have an audiobook that's, I think, just being finished. The editing is being finalized now. There's an ebook. 
And whether this is traditionally published, whether new authors traditionally published or indie published, get your story out there, make it happen. Don't worry about the rest. Nice. Great. I love that. And thank you for that. So there we go. All right, Emily, I'll let you go. I got to get going myself. Thanks again for a great talk. I can't wait till this goes live. Thank you so much for having me. It was lovely meeting you. Nice meeting you too, ma'am. Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website, go to Amazon, look them up, get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and uh, keep it running for to help more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over 100 episodes, lots of authors. Go to the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com. Check it out. There's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have. Check out their books. That's what the point of the podcast is for. So people can discover new authors, find some new books they love, support the authors so they can continue writing. So please support them. And if you do like the podcast, if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer, I've got some links also at the website. Click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that I talk about. Everything that I have there is something I use. So I've got an affiliate link. Again, it's a little bit, if everyone clicked on those, if they were going to get it anyway, it helps keep the podcast going. So let's all help each other out. Discover more wordsmiths to read. Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe sometime in the near future, it might be you.